So there's an author that I referenced a, a while back named James Clear. He wrote a book called Atomic Habits. And um, in, in his book, he describes uh, a, a very fascinating phenomenon that took place with the British cycling team over the last uh, decade or so. For nearly 100 years, the British cycling team was abysmal. They were terrible. They had won, uh, I think, one gold medal since 1908. I mean, they'd been 100. They'd never won a Tour, tour de France. Um, this cycling team was so bad that when uh, the bike manufacturers were, were making the bikes and the British cycling team reached out to a particular manufacturer to get their bikes, the manufacturer didn't want the British cycling team to ride their bikes because they didn't want people to think their bikes were slow. That, that's how, how bad they were. So, uh, so the British cycling team hired a guy named Dave Brailsford. This is back in 2001. And Dave Brailsford had this philosophy that he called the aggregation of marginal gains. The aggregation of marginal gains. Marginal gains means teeny gains. Imperceptible gain, gains. Like you're just getting a tiny bit better. A tiny fraction of a percent better. And, he said, and, and the aggregation of marginal gains means all of those little tiny gains coming together will make a significant impact. That was his philosophy. He said, I, I, I can't make, I can't jump this team from like one gold medal to like they become this stellar team. We got to do things really on a very small, almost imperceptible level. So they started making some changes with the British cycling team. They started, uh, they, they, some of the things you would expect, they, they refined the seats of the bikes so that they were a little more, more comfortable. They put uh, rubbing alcohol on the tires so they had a little bit better uh, grip. They, they gave the, the riders heated shorts so that their muscles would stay the right temperature, you know, for ma maximum performance. They put biofeedback sensors on all the cyclists so they could figure out, you know, how, how their heart rate was doing, their oxygen levels and all that. Um, they put lighter suits on them. They were just trying to make these little tiny, none of which, none of those changes would make really that much of a difference, right? And then they even got even deeper. They started testing different uh, massage gels to figure out which one helped muscle healing happen faster. Um, they had a surgeon come in and teach the, the riders how to wash their hands like a surgeon because any little, any little bacteria or little virus or whatever, you could get a cold, make you sick. So they, so they, they started washing their hands differently. Um, they, they figured out what pillows and mattresses gave the cyclists a better night's sleep. They even painted the inside of the team truck white so that any little speck of dust would show up because that speck of dust could get in a gear and make it harder to, to turn, turn the wheel. So these teeny, tiny, imperceptible changes, these little gains that they made, and they were aggregating all of these together. Well, people thought they were, you know, Brailsford was crazy. They're like, you know, you're, you're making such tiny, imperceptible changes that nothing is going to change. But in fact, everything changed for the British cycling team. In five years, in five years, uh, uh, in um, uh, uh, Clear's book, it says five years after Brailsford took over, the British cycling team dominated the road and track cycling events at the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing. They won an astounding 60% of the gold medals. 60% of the gold medals, the British won. They, they'd won one in 100 years. Four years later, when the Olympic Games came to London, they raised the bar. They set nine Olympic records and seven world records. That same year, one of their riders won the Tour de France. Never won, never won that before. 
The next year, another one of their writers won it. And they would go on to win it again in 2015, 2016, 2017. Five Tour de France victories in six years. During the 10-year span from 2007 to 2017, British cyclists won 178 world champions, championships, 66 Olympic or Paralympic gold medals, and captured five Tour de France victories in what is widely regarded as the most successful run in cycling history. Why? Teeny, tiny, imperceptible, almost invisible changes. Today, I want to preach a sermon that I'm calling Invisible Habits. Invisible Habits. We've been exploring this concept of habits and, and, and the idea that the, the habits you build will eventually build you, right? But a lot of times when we think of habits, we think of big habits. We think of big behavioral habits, big things that, that we're changing some sort of uh, behavior. But the reality is the most important habit to change is the habit that you have formed in your mind. Do you know that mental habits are more important than behavioral habits? I'll tell you why. Because mental habits are what cause behavioral habits, right? The, the, the action proceeds from the thought, and then the outcome proceeds from the action. So if you want to change the outcome, you have to change the thought, right? You have to start thinking differently in these, the habit that you're changing is invisible. Nobody can see what you're thinking right now. I wish I could, some of you, I just want to know. <laughs> Nobody can see what you're thinking, but your actions proceed from your thoughts, and then your, your, your outcomes proceed from your actions. So what I want to do in this sermon today, and I hope you're taking notes, next week, for real, for real, we're going to hand out these sermon notebooks, for real. <laughs> everybody's going to get one and you can start scratching down these notes. Um, I'm such a nerdy note taker that this makes me so excited. I cannot even tell you. Some of you are like, I don't want that dumb binder. Don't give me that stupid thing. Well, maybe I'll just keep one for myself. Okay. But we're going to hand these out next week. So, um, what I, what I want you to do is I, I want you to take some notes today if, if you can, um, because what I'm going to give you from the scripture are seven invisible habits that will fundamentally alter your life. Divine habits. You know, we, we talked about a few weeks ago, there are destructive habits, there are distracting habits, and then there are divine habits, right? The destructive habits are the ones that derail you, take you off the path of your calling and your purpose. Distracting habits are the ones that slow you down, where they don't totally throw you uh, off, but they just keep you from accomplishing what you're supposed to accomplish. Divine habits are the habits that God tells us to do, that when we do them, they transform our lives. So I'm going to give you uh, seven of those from the scripture. Again, based on the presumption, uh, the premise that the habits you build will eventually build you. The habits you build will eventually build you. Before I give you the seven divine habits, I'm going to give you six destructive habits. And I want you to just see if any of these relate to you, okay? I'm going to start with three that are directed towards other people. Three mental habits Invisible habits that we can fall into directed towards others are criticism, judgmentalism, and cynicism. I'm just going to let, I'm just going to, I'm going to take long pauses so that you can just like let things sink in this morning. Criticism is nothing is good enough for me. Judgmentalism is no one is good enough for me. Cynicism is no thing and no one will ever be 
good enough for me, right? Cynicism is when you always are questioning other people's motives. You think that everybody has bad motives. And so you never accept help. You never accept assistance for anybody from anyone because, and you know, maybe something bad happened in your past. And so everything you look at, you look through the lens of cynicism and you think, what are they, what do they want from me? What, what's it about? And so you refuse to even open up and receive the help that is offered to you because you're afraid that, that somebody's going to bite you. You're afraid that you're going to get hurt, right? And we can fall into these rhythms of mental habits where our first reaction is criticism, judgmentalism, or cynicism. Have you ever walked out of a, of a movie where like you're thinking about the movie or, or you walk out of a church service, you're thinking about the church service or you walk, you walk out of some event and you're talking with friends or family member and somebody in the group just starts finding the fault with the thing. You ever, you ever, been, you ever seen that? We're like, you're, you're going, man, this is amazing. I'm kind of processing this thing, right? And somebody in the group just starts going, yeah, but did you notice that the, um, I don't know, I just didn't really like the carpet in there. Did you like the car? I just didn't really like it, right? You know? And, and you, just, you just, and then what happens is your mind goes down that little trail and now you're leaving behind all the good stuff because you're criticizing. Same with judging, right? It, you, 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 somebody else is not the way that you think they should be and you think you're better. And so you leave that relationship going, you know what, I just, didn't, I just don't feel that person. I just don't think they're that great. So we can get into that mental habit. The, the destructive mental habits that are directed at ourself are three more, comparison, self-pity, and worry. These are three destructive, invisible habits that you and I tend to and can be tempted to carry around that will completely take us off course, Right? Comparison is where I go, my value is based on, on your gifts, not God's gift of grace towards me, right? I see somebody more gifted than me. Now I'm comparing myself to them. Now I'm downgrading myself because I'm not as gifted to them, as them, right? Self-pity is like I'm just overly excessively obsessed with my own problems. And then worry is I just don't trust God, right? I just don't really trust God because I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm worried about the outcomes, right? So these, these are three patterns uh, three kind of um, habits, mental habits that we can get into. But I don't want to stay on those today. I just wanted to list those to call them out because I know that some of us are tempted by those. But here's what God wants for us, all right? I'm going to give you this passage from uh, Philippians 4.8, and then we're just going dive right, to dive right in. Philippians 4.8 says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what? Think about those things. Develop a habit, an invisible habit of orienting your mind toward things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Orient, but, but you have to do that over and over. You have to develop the habit of focusing on those things. The, the, the word there in Greek it, is the same word where we get logic. Think on those things. Reason about those things. Think through those things. Analyze those things, right? So what, what the scripture is telling us here is to develop a, a divine mental habit of orienting your mind towards that which is good and right and holy and pure. So how do we do that? I'm going to give you seven habits. We're going to go quickly, okay, because there's a ton of content and I'm going to end roughly on time today. Amen? 
I'm going to build a habit of that so that when we go to two services, it'll be easy peasy. Ready? Here's the first one. What I call a habit of continual gratitude. Habit of continual gratitude. In Luke 17, the scripture says this. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Somebody say cleansed. One of them he saw, uh, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Somebody say well. The word cleansed, right, comes from a word katharizo, which means to clean. But the word well comes from the word sozo, which means to deliver into safety or to cure. In other words, what's happening in this story is we're learning that God will cleanse you, but gratitude will cure you. Let that sink in for a minute. God will cleanse you, right? He'll take care of whatever it is that you're asking. But if you forget to be grateful, you're going to fall right back into the thing that he cleansed you from. If God cleanses you from bitterness and you don't develop a habit of gratitude to God, you're going to end up back in bitterness. If you develop an attitude where you are grateful an attitude of gratitude, what the old preachers would say. When you develop that habit of gratitude, it cures you. You don't fall back into the bitterness, right? Because now you have a completely different habit. The bitterness was a habit. Gratitude is a habit, right? God will cleanse you. Gratitude will cure you. When, when, when we planted one family church years ago, 10 years ago, we had 11 people. We had 11 people. And you know what? I, and this is the truth. I was so thankful for those 11 people, even though one of them was my wife. So that was 10 left. And we were counting kids. We were counting dogs. I mean, we were counting any living, breathing thing. We had 11 living things, right? No. But I was grateful for the 11 people. So I wasn't ungrateful. I was grateful for the 11. Very grateful. So then when there was 50, I was also grateful. And then 100 and... 150 and 200. And, and as we've grown, there's never been a point. And, and right now I just feel grateful every year when I send out the, uh, the year end statements and the, and the year end donor letter, I, I can't help but express how thankful I am because I just love being a part of this church. I just love it. I love it. I love it. It's my happy place. I like to be here. Right. But it's because I just thank God for wherever it Wherever we are in the process, thank you for this, right? If we don't develop that, if you don't develop gratitude now, you will not have contentment in the future. If you think that some future situation or position is going to make you happier, I'm going to just tell you as your pastor, it will not. Unless you develop gratitude now, you will be discontent in the future. The scripture says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in what kind of circumstances? All of them. All of them, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Developing that, that, that sense of, of gratitude. God will heal you, but gratitude will make you whole.
Number two, the habit of undiscriminating empathy. Undiscriminating empathy. In Luke 10, 33 and 34, uh, Jesus tells a story and he says, a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. He's telling the story about the good Samaritan and the man that had been beaten and robbed at the side of the road. And this Samaritan came and a priest had walked by. You know the story. A Levite, a Levite had walked by. But a Samaritan came. And the difference between the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan was the Samaritan had empathy. The, Mar- the Samaritan said, I see a man hurting. And I'm going to go over and I'm going to help him because I can feel what it must feel like to be in his shoes. You know what he didn't say? This is important, guys. He didn't say, not my fault. He didn't say, I didn't, I'm not responsible for that. He didn't say, I didn't do it. He didn't say any of that. It's called taking responsibility irrespective of culpability. Man, somebody, somebody just, somebody give me a, a, a give me a groan, something, let me know. Taking responsibility irrespective of culpability means as a church, we're going to lean into some things that are problematic that we didn't cause. We're going to try to heal some situations that wasn't our fault. We're going to try to address some injustices that we didn't start, right? When you see someone hurt, when you see an injustice, when you see a pain, when you see, the first question is not, well, am I responsible? Did I do it? What you do is you have empathy for that pain. And you go, you know what? If I was there, this is what, this is what intercessory prayer is. Intercessory prayer is not praying for someone it's praying as someone. It's when you put yourself in the shoes of somebody else and you put yourself in their pain, you put yourself in their circumstance and you go, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to lean into this. I'm going to take responsibility irrespective of culpability. It's not, it doesn't matter whether it was my fault. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some steps to bring about some righteousness and some justice. Amen, somebody? Amen. Number three, habit of perpetual forgiveness. Oh, <laughs> I might just stop after this one. Notice, notice it's perpetual forgiveness. You know how many times you have to forgive people? All the time. All the time, every day. In fact, Peter was trying to, you know, he was trying to define it, put it in a box. Jesus, he came to Jesus, Matthew 18. He says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? I feel that question, man, because there's a limit. You know, somebody messes you up. You're just like, my limit is less than seven, though. Mine is like 1.5. Are you with me? When somebody messes me over, I'm just kind of like, man, I don't really feel like I want to ever talk to you again. I just don't, right? I just feel that way. Peter is like, I'll do it seven times. How about that? Right? Seven times. Is that good? You know what Jesus says, right? He said, uh, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70, 70 times seven. Some scriptures say daily. In other words, 70 times seven means an infinite number of times. I mean, it's really 490. I have my calculator before church just to double check that. But what it's really implying is an infinite number of times. 
This is important, and we're going to preach. I'm going to preach on forgiveness later. Again, it doesn't mean that you accept them back into your life if they've harmed you in a way that is not safe for you. You can forgive someone from far away. All right? And sometimes we need to do that. But we still need to forgive them. Okay? Because if you do not forgive them, you will continue to carry the pain and the bitterness of the hurt that was caused to you. In fact, when, when Jesus answered this question 490 times, he then told a story. He said there was a, there was a, a man that, that uh, there was a servant that owed his master 100 bags of gold. And he was stuck. He couldn't pay it back. And he came to his master and he said, I, I'm so stuck. I can't, you know, I can't pay this back. And the master said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to forgive that debt. 100 bags of gold, I'm wipe it off. Of course, the man was rejoicing, right? He just took his student debt out. Can somebody just say amen to... Just student debt gone, right? But the servant went out and found a guy that owed him some pocket change. And he said, where's my change? And the guy said, well, I don't have it right now. And he grabbed him by the throat and he said, I want my change. I'm going to throw you into the debtor's prison, right? And then the master heard about what the servant did. Let me just tell you, you can read the story. He wasn't happy. It was a bad outcome. And then Jesus said, this is the way God is going to treat you if you don't forgive other people, right? Until you forgive your past pain, you cannot fulfill your current potential. Let, let me just tell you this. When you do not forgive your past pain, you are going to fight the people in your current life about something that somebody else did to you. You are going to attack people that are trying to help you because somebody in your past hurt you. And you're fighting that person in the present. You're fighting a ghost of the past in the body of a person right in front of you who had nothing to do with it. You cannot move forward. I'm, somebody needs to get this so that they can be free. You cannot move forward if you are holding on to pain from your past. I will, I promise you this from a very deep personal place. I would promise you this is true. I guarantee you this is true. If you hold on to any little sliver of bitterness towards somebody who harmed you, even if the harm was horrible, you will not move forward in your present. You will not. You cannot. Because the God that forgave you says to you, I need you to forgive them. I don't need you to bring them into your circle of friends. I don't need you to, you know, Facebook friend them, but I need you to forgive them so that I can forgive, so that you can receive my forgiveness. You cannot grow if you do not let it go. Somebody told you you should take notes. Amen. Number four is the habit of divine contentment. I'm going to go quickly. The habit of divine contentment. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I have learned, Paul says, to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can be content because my contentment is based on my relationship with God, not on my relationship to my circumstances at the moment. If I'm happy in plenty and, and, and angry in, in little then I'm not going to find contentment. But if I'm content in God, I can walk through plenty. I can walk through little. I can walk through good times. I can walk through bad times because I am feasting on the, on the nourishment of God, right? One of the preachers, we were at a conference this week. 
one of the preachers said, uh, if you're not hungry for God, then you're probably full of yourself. <laughs> I wrote that one down. The thing is, if, 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 we are, if, we are, if we are nourishing ourselves on God, we will be content and good. This is why I say I can do all this. I can do, I can do all this contentment through Christ who gives me the strength. I'm relying upon his strength. We had a, a woman years ago at our church. Her name was Rosie. Some of you might remember Rosie. She was there in the very early days, and she got sick and was in the hospital with a blood clot. And um, older woman and just a beautiful woman of God. And, and I went into the hospital, and I was all prepared to be. This is early on. You know, I'd been a pastor for a couple of years. You know, I think I put my suit on and, you know, had my whole little uniform, like I'm going to go to the hospital. And, you know, and I was expecting to be all long-faced and, you know, oh, Sister Rosie, you know, we're so sad to see the, you know. And I was, and I got in there, and, I, and she was reading a magazine, and I said, oh, hi, Rosie, how, how are you? And she's like, great, how are you? And I was like, well, I mean, I'm pretty good, but like, you're in the hospital. And she's like, I know, they're bringing me food. I've got a TV right here. There's no kids, there's no grandkids around. Like, I'm having such a nice time. I've got these magazines. And like, I'm just like, okay, so it's a party in Rosie's room. So Rosie and I just kicked it and watched some TV and laughed and ate some good hospital mashed potatoes. Just had a great time. But the reality was she had learned to be content in good times and in bad times. She had, she had walked with the Lord long enough. She had been up high enough and down low enough that she knew that God was with her all the way through. It didn't matter. Didn't matter if things were good. Didn't matter if things were bad. I, I'm going to teach you a phrase, okay? I want you to learn it. I've got God. Say it out loud. So I'm good. I've got God. So I'm good. When things aren't right financially, when things are a little bit of a pinch and the debt is piling up, we can say, I've got God, so I'm good, right? When the relationships in our lives are kind of topsy-turvy, I've got God, so I'm good. When school is just the crushing stress of college is coming down on you and the tests are coming and the quizzes are coming, I've got God, so I'm good, right? It, there's a contentment in knowing that, man, I can do all of this through Christ, with, but it's a habit of the mind. Discontentment is a habit of the mind. Divine contentment is a habit of the mind. We develop the invisible habit. Number five is a habit I'm calling the habit of constant learning. Habit of constant learning. Proverbs 12, 15 says this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Okay, I'm gonna ask you a question. Don't answer this out loud. Don't even give any indication to anybody what your answer is, okay? I'm gonna ask you a question. Are you wise or are you a fool? Just answer in your own mind. Are you wise or are you a fool? If your mind just jumped to, I'm wise, you're a fool. Sorry. Because a wise person knows their foolishness. But a foolish person does not know their foolishness. A foolish person is wise in their own eyes. A foolish person is right in their own eyes. But a wise person says, I need other people to help me see my foolishness so that I can be wise. You only get wise a few different ways. One way is through the perseverance that you, uh, that you have to endure of the consequences of your foolish decisions. 
That's one way to do it, right? You just go through the consequences of your foolish decisions and you go, oh, well, that wasn't wise. And next time I'm going to make a better decision. Another way to do it is to watch the consequences of other people's foolish decisions. That's a better way, somebody. Right? You go, oh, man, that was foolish. Look at the consequences. I don't want to do that. But even a better way is to let a wise person tell you what to do and what not to do and listen to them. Spend time at the feet of the wise. Spend time getting counsel. Spend time spending uh, uh, energy and time listening to people who are wiser than you. It's better to, this is an old phrase they used to say, better to be silent and thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. <laughs> Amen. I'm not, I, I got a story for that one, but I'm, I'm going to keep moving. Number six, habit of deferential honor. This is a mental habit, an invisible habit. A divine habit, deferential honor. Uh, Luke 14, 7 through 11 says this. When somebody invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have, may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you is going to come to you and say, please give this person your seat. I added the please just because I felt like I needed to be more polite. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place in the house. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is important for somebody today. This is, and I'm going to tell you a real life example of this. I'm just going to give you this real life example. I was at a conference this week and I'm, I was at a conference, or a bunch of our staff, we were down in Texas. We were at this conference and I was with my coach. My coach is a guy named Conway Edwards, and I just really like being around him. He's a, he's a great pastor, really smart guy, and I really enjoy his company. And his wife, Jada, is super smart and great teacher and just amazing. They're an amazing couple, and I really enjoy them. And I got invited to this little luncheon with them. And it was a small luncheon just for a few people, and it's a big conference. But I was like, oh, man, I got invited to the luncheon. So, so I go to the luncheon. Rebecca and I go to the luncheon, and I was late, and it was like in the back of the line. And I got my food, and there's a, there's a big dining room table, like a big conference table. And there's only one seat left because all the seats were taken by the time I got through the line. And there was one person behind me. So I walk over to that seat, and I'm like, there's this only seat, Right? And Jada was uh, sitting right here, um, and I just thought, man, and I really want to sit here because, like, this is such a good table to sit at. But this scripture came to mind. I'm telling you like that. And I thought, well, I can't really sit here because when Dr. Conway comes back in, this is probably his seat, and so I don't want to sit here and, you know, mess it up. So I went over to the couch and awkwardly sat by myself on the couch with my plate on my lap. Now, this was a... If I do something really good and spiritually mature, I need to tell you about it, okay? Because I don't, it's not every day that these kind of things happen, okay? Can I just share like when I do something right? Um, so I go and I sit on the couch and I'm like eating my food on the couch and, uh, and the guy behind me, and I won't tell you his name, but he was like a big time guy. He's a big time guy and you would know him, some of you. He walks over and he goes right up to the chair. He goes, anybody sitting here? No? Okay, cool. And he sits down. He takes the seat that I gave up. And I was like, the whole parable is not working, Jesus. Like, this whole story you told that I'm trying to do. But, but watch what happened. Watch what happened. I'm sitting there. Dr. Conway comes in back into the conference room. And, and he sees me sitting over there. So I'm, I go over and, I, and, I'm, and, I, uh, and he sits down. And, I'm stand, and I, I actually got up and went over to him. So I'm just standing. Now I'm standing eating. 
This is like super awkward. Like everything about the whole thing is awkward. And he sees me. He goes, what are you doing? Take my seat. He gives me his seat. He goes out into the other room and he grabs two or three more seats. He brings them in. He pulls his seat right up next to my seat. We're knee to knee. And he talked to me alone with one other guy there for a whole hour. The whole time I got to hang out with my coach and listen to him and talk to him, right? Why? Because I didn't take the seat of honor. (laughs) I thought, thank you. You're like, you know what? He does this kind of thing so rarely. We should just encourage him. (laughs) Here's the reality. Seek service, not status. Seek service, don't seek status. When you seek status, you will not achieve it. Or you will achieve it and it will be empty. But when you seek service, you will find meaningful status. Let your, uh, lift yourself up and God will take you down. Take yourself down and God will lift you up. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. If you want to develop a divine habit that's going to take you places in life, develop this habit of, um, of, of deferential honor. Honor those, honor, honor those above you, honor those beside you, and honor those below you. Deferential honor. Last one. Ready? Habit of eager expectation. Develop a habit of eager expectation. I'm going to give this one real quick because I don't want to run out of time. Luke 11, 5 through 10. Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend. You go to him at midnight. And you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I, don't have, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Jesus said, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, you keep knocking. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks... And the, and, and the translation is there, everybody who keeps asking receives. And the one who seeks and keeps seeking finds. And the one who keeps knocking, in other words, develops a habit of knocking, the door will be opened. He's saying, look, I want you to have eager expectation. I want you to keep knocking. I want you to keep coming after me. I want you to develop a mental habit like that. Last story, and then I'm going to close. You can help me, David. Last story is this. Um, my, my son, Augustine, is uh, a spiritual master of this particular habit. He's got this one down. When he wants something, he just thinks he's going to get it. And so he keeps asking. And so maybe three months ago, he asked for a pull-up bar. Dad, can I have a pull-up bar? And I was like, nah, I don't think so. Because I really don't want to... You know, pull-up bar, you got to screw the holes in the wood of the door frame. I'm like, no, nah, I don't really think we want to bust up the door frame. So, no, you can't have a pull-up bar. So, you know, maybe a couple weeks, two weeks later, he's, Dad, I really want a pull-up bar. And I was like, well, yeah, but no. I mean, babe, can we get him a pull-up bar? You know, because I started breaking down pretty early. She's like, no, I don't really like the way, you know, like, you don't want a pull-up bar. It just doesn't look good. If a company comes over, you got a pull-up bar in the doorway. Like, nah. I'm like, sorry, son. You know, mom said no. So, yeah. Right? Um, so he's like, okay. Well, a couple of weeks later, Dad, can I get a pull-up bar? Like, well, I think we'd already talked about this. and No, uh, you know. But I start to break down after a little while. He's like, I'll pay for it. It's like, all right, well. Anyway, 
So guess what I did last weekend? I screwed up a pull-up bar in his doorway, and he's real, he's real happy about that. Can you just show him? There he is. Right? The reason he has a pull-up bar is because he kept asking. He kept asking for a pull-up bar, and he expected eventually he was going to get it. Some of us need to develop that, that audacity, that eager expectation that we have a father who actually wants to give us what we need. And so we just develop a habit of going, Father, I want to come after you. I want to I I, I keep coming after you. You can take that picture down. I want to, Father, I just want, I, I need more of you. I want to develop these habits. Now, I'm just going to tell you this as we close. All of those destructive habits that we talked about at the beginning, I've experienced all of those, and so have you. All of us have experienced criticism, judgmentalism, cynicism, comparison, self-pity, and worry. Some of you are experiencing that right now. Some of you are, are, are in that habit, and it's not taking you where you want to go. David said something in Psalm 51, and I'm not going to put it on the screen. He said, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. What I want and what I believe God wants for every single one of us in 2022 is to start changing some of our invisible habits. Some of our default lines of thought need to be crushed. And we need to start developing some new habits. We need to start aggregating some marginal gains, some small, invisible, incremental mental habits that will slowly alter and adjust our behavioral habits that will ultimately affect and impact the trajectory of our life. God wants us to win the gold medal. He wants us to fulfill the potential that we have. He wants us to actually live into the fullness of what he's created us to be. But in order to do that, we need to align our mind with him. We need to align our heart with him. Do you know all of the negative, all of those destructive mental habits arise from pride? Every single one of them arises from pride. Cynicism, criticism, judgmentalism, self-pity, worry, comparison. It's all pride. It's all pride. All of the divine mental habits arise out of the womb of humility. Where you say, God, I, <laughs> I humble myself before you. I honor you with my heart, my soul, my mind, my body. It's all yours. And I'm grateful for everything that you've given me. And I forgive those who have hurt me because you've forgiven me. And I have empathy for those in pain, even though I didn't do anything to cause their pain. Right? Because I want you to have empathy towards me. And you, and you reached out to me when, when I was in need. I'm content, Lord God, in what you've given me. I want to get wisdom. I want to gain wisdom. I want to honor those who are deserving of honor. And I want to have eager expectation. I want to have hope, God, for the future. I'm going to give you the last scripture and then we're closing. The mindset, the mindset of Jesus was fascinating. Philippians 2, 3 through 11, it says this. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of what? Lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. 
Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every other, other name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we close today, I, I want to pray for you and for me that we would allow the mind of Christ to be in us lowliness of heart we would let god lift us up we would take ourselves down so that god can lift us up and we would begin to develop those in invisible incremental habits that will fundamentally transform the trajectory of our life let's pray together father thank you for your word thank you for these amazing truths and these amazing principles and and this just very very powerful content, Lord God, that, that, that we derive from your word. I pray that it would sink deeply into our hearts. Transform us, God. Take us out of bitterness and unforgiveness and, and, and pain and cynicism and criticism and judgmentalism. Take us, Lord God, into forgiveness and empathy and love and hope. God, take us into what you would have us to be. Transform our hearts, transform our lives, and God, transform our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I want to invite you as we close to worship with us in a few different ways. One of the ways that we worship uh, is through uh, uh, prayer. So if you need prayer today, we have a prayer room that's open for you in the side auditorium. Uh, you can go in there after service and just spend some time with God. Uh, if you are um, a member of our church or if this is your church home, we invite you to, uh, to give. We invite you to participate in giving uh, and partner with us as we reach uh, not just this city but around the nation and around the world and you can do that online you can do that on uh, there's a QR code that I believe you can scan um, and then set up your your giving that way but we invite you to partner with one family church in that way um, we also have communion in the side auditorium if you want to take communion if you are a guest or a visitor we actually have a gift for you would you hand me a, a connection card um, I just want, I wanted to show you, uh, we, we have these connection cards. They're right in the slot right behind you there. Um, and if you will take a moment, fill this out and drop it into a basket on the way out. Uh, we have a free gift for you. It is a, um, it's called Right Now Media. It's a, it's a, a video-based Bible study, 17,000 videos or 20,000 videos, um, uh, video-based Bible studies, awesome stuff that um, we'll just give you a subscription. We've already paid for it. Our church family has paid for it. We want to give it as a free gift to you. If you don't have this and you're a member of our church and you've been here for a thousand years, uh, you can still fill this out and we'll make sure you get it as well. Um, but we just want you to know that you're welcome. Will you stand with me today as we close out? Let's open our hearts. Let's open our mouths and let's worship God in song. Amen.